Hello, hello, and welcome to the Relate Then Educate podcast. How y'all doing today? The middle of uh, Teacher Appreciation Week right now when I'm recording this. Um, By the time you listen to this, it will be at the end of Teacher Appreciation Week. I hope you have felt mighty appreciated and all of your dreams have come true. Ha ha ha. All right. So today, that was a weird sound. Today, you're going to listen to Mr. Adam Welcome. We were connected to Adam Welcome through our friend Katie Kinder. She has connected us to so many wonderful guests, and Adam Welcome is one of those guests. Um, Adam is an excellent resource for your school. He would be someone that would be awesome to come to your school and talk to your teachers. And he just has so much energy. He has so much much insight. He just is awesome. Like an Adam Welcome PD Day would be a really awesome PD Day. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode with Adam. He has so much um, experience in the classroom, so much experience with kids and just life, and he brings that to us. So enjoy this episode. Our kids and teachers deserve it with Adam Welcome. Amplifying the voices of teachers. This is Relate and Educate. Hello, everyone. I am sitting here with Rick. Hey, Rick. Hello, everybody. And we are talking to Mr. Adam Welcome. Hello, hello. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So glad you're here. I know. I've been following you, and I just I know you as Mr. Adam Welcome because that's your Instagram Instagram <laughs> screen, screen name, and so that's all I think is just Mr. Adam Welcome. <laughs> so if I call you that, sorry. <laughs> um, but from where are we talking to you, Adam? I am in the San Francisco Bay Area, so about twenty five minutes outside of San Francisco in the suburbs. Oh, fun! Awesome. The the Holmes clan is going to be coming to San Francisco this summer. Oh, cool. What are you going to do? You got a whole trip planned? First time ever. My wife does. I, I know a little <laughs> bit about it, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to spend uh, a few days on the east side of San Francisco, like the downtown area, and then cool. we'll shift over and go to the, the west side and see, see what that's all about. But none of us have ever been super excited. Uh, you know, food, number one on the list. Uh, <laughs> and then just, you know, the, the beautiful architecture around there and Anything else you tell me to do is, is likely going to be on the list, too. Two, the two top things is Alcatraz is amazing. It's a great okay. boat, boat ride out there, a lot of history. And then make sure you go to Muir Woods. It's just okay. about 15 minutes over the Golden Gate Bridge. They're the biggest, oldest trees on the planet, redwood trees. Mm-hmm. It is so majestic. You'll hear like 15 different languages of people walking around Muir Woods. <laughs> John Muir used to walk from his home, which is about an hour drive away, and camp underneath the redwood trees. That's why they yeah. hence call it Muir Woods. It's a really, really amazing place. That sounds oh, great. Cool. Yeah. When I went, a, I don't know, a decade ago, I was there for a teaching conference, or actually in Napa, and then I spent like 24 hours in San Francisco. And since we were there for such a limited time, my girlfriend and I, we rented or we, you know, got on a double decker bus and just rode all around. And it like, we got off at different spots. And so it was like the perfect 24 hour, like shuttle to just take us to all these spots to spend 30 minutes, an hour at each of the districts and everything. So, ah, how fun. I'm envious of your trip. Yeah, the, oh. my, my only uh, recommendation, Rick, is to bring a sweatshirt because if people yeah. people think August is hot, but people in the Bay Area actually call it foggest because it can be <laughs> foggy and you think, oh, it's going to be 90 degrees, it's California, but it can actually get really cold in the morning or even during the day, but especially at night too when the fog rolls in, it's just like a yeah. blanket of clouds and it is not warm. That was a shocker. We went to uh, Pismo Beach, like San Luis Obispo oh, yeah. area, right? Yeah. And so we wake up, we, we get there in the afternoon, it's bright, sunshiny, it's awesome. My wife and I always like to get up and walk to the coffee shop. That's our morning gig, right? So 
we step out the door at Pismo Beach. I mean, we're <laughs> we're Poosh. a quarter mile away from the water, and oh my gosh, it was <gasps> so cold outside. Mm-hmm. We I had full sweatpants, sweatshirt, and and a coat, and she did the same, and we walked the two blocks. But it was shocking how cold it was in the morning <laughs> and the evening there. Um, so anyway, yeah, we we get that. We're gonna we're gonna layer up. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start talking. Adam, what was your journey to get into education? Let's start there. Super interesting. I never really thought I would become a teacher. My, my dad taught second grade for 35 years in the wow. uh, kind, of, kind of the inner cities of the Bay Area where I live. And, uh, you know, I went to college. I didn't really typically like I didn't really love college. I, I did it because I thought I kind of had to. I, I don't know if it was like what I should have done. I'm glad I did. Uh, kind of had a couple false starts after college. And then I, um, I actually went and I was a substitute teacher for uh, a PE class. And I really liked it. I was like, you know, I, I love kids. I, I worked at the Boys and Girls Club in college as a, as a job, just kind of hanging out with kids. So I said, hey, I might as well go and get my, uh, get my teaching credential. I was 23 years old. And then that was it. And I taught for a while. And then I was a, a school administrator, assistant principal and principal for seven years. And then I was a director of innovation for a large school district out here in California, where it was basically the coolest job in the world. I had no responsibility. All I did was I went and my, my wife used to hate when I would say that, uh, but I would just go out and do professional development with schools. We had 50 schools. So principals, teachers, instructional coaches, librarians, parent groups. It was, uh, it was really awesome. And it was just a good transition to, uh, to what I do now. I'm not in the classroom or in a school uh, now anymore. I work with schools all over the country, but I just kind of, uh, that was just kind of my path uh, in education. It's been fun. I never thought the things that happened to me would happen, but those are some of the, some of the cool stories about the journey. And when doors open, walk through those doors, <laughs> people that are listening. Even if a door is open, just a crack. Open it and see what's on the other side. Because you can always go back to that room that you were in. But if a door opens, walk through, walk through, walk through, make friends, build connections, collaborate, and just see what is out there because you never know what is going to happen. Yeah. 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 Don't don't let fear determine your outcome. Just take take it like I like the vision of that. Just open the door, take a peek, uh, and then go in if you want or Mm -hmm. not. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. at least give yourself that option. Yeah, I love it. Hundred percent. I want to rewind a second. What did you teach? Did you say that? I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. I was an Ah. elementary school guy. Yeah, I did one. I substituted at a high school like two days, and I said, "This is not. This is not for me." (laughs) Yeah, and then I taught. I I loved. I loved uh, teaching elementary. And then I, the first admin job that I interviewed for was a high school assistant principal. And I knew I really didn't want the job, but I wanted the experience interviewing and to yeah. get the job. And thankfully, actually, I didn't get the job because that probably would not have uh, would not have been a good uh, a good jam for me. And then I was a and then I was an elementary assistant principal, pretty big school, K five, twelve hundred kids as an assistant wow. principal. But it was a great place to train and learn and just kind of do everything. So then when I got my principalship, I felt um, super confident and ready to ready to go at the helm. So I miss being a principal that was the most fun job okay i think i was a good teacher but humbly i think i was like a really good principal i felt that was just that was my jam you know i felt like that was just really good from like a leadership admin standpoint and uh, i think i'm i'm young enough i i may someday go back and be a principal again we'll uh we'll see what happens so yeah the call you you can't deny it huh (laughs) (laughs) well my my parents were pretty much everything from bus driver to superintendent. And they both gravitated towards principal, you know, mm-hmm. they just really engaged because they were close enough to kids that they could be around kids. Mm-hmm. And they were also leading teachers as well. So there's kind of that nice middle ground. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get that. You know, when you find the place where you really thrive, it's hard to hard to leave, you know, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I want to know what it is about being a principal that you love so much, because me as a teacher, like a principal is the last job I'd want next to like president or something. Like it's just (laughs) too much. No, thank you. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I feel there is just, I feel there's a lot of untapped potential 
in schools, in teachers, in paraeducators, in students, mm. in parent organizations. And I, I worked for principals that just, for lack of saying it a different way, they, they just kind of hid in their office. And it, we were like a Ferrari in second gear. And I've never driven a Ferrari, but a Ferrari has like six speeds. And I want to take that Ferrari to Germany on the Autobahn. And I want to see what it can do because there's so much power yes. in there. And it's a silly example because a school is so much more powerful and so much more important than a Ferrari. But, you know, like, gosh, squeeze the juice out of that school. And I just, I love seeing I love seeing the potential and then realizing that potential by empowering teachers, empowering students, mm -hmm. collaborating with families and community and colleagues and people at central office. And I just felt like I just did that well. And I wanted to squeeze all the juice and help people to, to realize the, their full potential. And um, not everybody wants to do that. And uh, I'm yeah. okay with being out in front and I'm okay with talking to a parent that has an idea or that is upset and supporting the staff. And um, I've worked for principals and I've worked with principals that uh, don't necessarily always support the staff for whatever reason. And uh, it's just a, it's a very, 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 very important job in a school and leadership, leadership can change a school leadership can change an organization you can go this way or you can go that way and I, i'm not saying that i did it perfect nobody does i've made many mistakes and continually learning through the process but um i just felt like you know schools need good leaders and we can complain about it because i when i was a teacher i had plenty of colleagues that complained or you can say you know what I'm going to try and I'm going to try to do it different. And that's what I did. No more complaining. Complaining is not a strategy. Let's try mm. to solve this problem or work towards a better solution for our organization. Mm. Yeah. Boom. That's really, really good. I would have loved to have you as principal. <laughs> yeah, you're here. Just, I, just the energy there is really, uh, it's compelling for sure. Yes. One thing that um, when I was reading about you and like looking at your website and all that stuff, which I highly recommend everyone doing, um, is you talk about, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going. It's going to come back to me. It absolutely will come back to me. What were we talking about? I'm so sorry. I was talking about principal. Hey, regroup, regroup. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you a question about you know you worked with a lot of principals. You've been in a lot of buildings. Can you point to you know a lot of teachers listen to this podcast? So, um, and a lot of what we do is just to let them know that hey, first of all, buildings are different place to place. Uh, you know, in the same district, two different buildings can be completely different. But what transformations have you seen in leadership in say a specific building that have been really compelling for you because you've been in a lot of those situations where maybe it wasn't great mm -hmm. um and so what do you have any of those kinds of stories that you yeah think? yeah the, the best transformations are from principals that spend as little time in their office as possible you can't change a school you can't change an organization from your office there's absolutely nothing happening in a principal's office that really has much direct impact on teachers and students and the community you got to be in classrooms you got to be on the bus you got to be at recess you got to be at lunch you got to be in front of the school before school and after school because that's how you build relationships and that's how you build connections and as we know relationships are the most important thing that we as educators can do because when you have trust and you know things about people and you know where your organization is, that is when you can know where you need to bring your organization. And too many leaders, mm -hmm. and not just in schools, but also at central office, they don't know where their organization is. And they're making these decisions blindly. And they're like, oh, we need this reading program. And people are like, whoa, are you sure? Because when was the last time you actually spent time in <laughs> a school? How can you know? I mean, look back at history. Henry Ford revolutionized the automobile industry because he was there in the factory on the ground floor. Elon Musk 
would sleep at the Tesla headquarters because they were trying to dial in the Model 3 car when they were really trying to get it off the ground. I mean, there's videos of him sleeping on a couch in Fremont, California, which is 45 minutes from where I live because he needed to solve these problems. He couldn't do it from Bali or Fiji or Hawaii. He had to be there. So the biggest, easiest, and actually free transformation happens when a leader is there, when they know everybody in the organization, they know their talents because a leader has to accent their deficiencies with the talents from the people in the organization. Case in point, I'm horrible at scheduling. I can't build a schedule. I don't want to build a schedule. If I have to build a schedule, I'm going to be there every weekend for two months with paper all over the floor. I'm not going to see my family. I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be healthy. I'm going to be burned out. But when you're in classrooms, when you're in hallways, when you're talking to people, you realize who your scheduler is. You know who that person is. I had a first grade teacher, Michelle Briscoe. She's still at the school where I was a principal and she was an amazing scheduler. And I approached her one day. I said, hey, Michelle, I suck at making schedules. You're amazing. Can you? And she goes, I'm, I'm so happy you asked. And I said, hey, here's the information. You know, she spent like three hours. It was color coded, all the recess numbers and instructional minutes worked. I didn't have to do it. How did she feel? She felt amazing because we empowered somebody with the strength that they had, but you can't know what those strengths are if you're in your office, if you're hiding behind your desk, if you think that your office is the most important place at the school, you're wrong. You can't build those connections. You can't build relationships and you can't move forward if that's all you do. Yeah. I feel like you noticing those things about your teachers, the strengths of them and bringing them out, that really helps to cultivate building your teachers as leaders in the school. And that's something that we've been talking about lately. And I think that's just so powerful. What is that by, by helping teachers to feel like leaders? What does that do inside a school, inside a teacher? It takes your organization farther. And if you're gone for the day, somebody steps up because they feel that they have that leadership capacity because yeah. absence of the leader, the organization can't crumble. I mean, think about our military. There's many special operations units in, in the U.S. military. If somebody's out, if there's eight of us out doing a mission somewhere and somebody gets injured or somebody gets killed... The mission doesn't go, doesn't stop. The other seven people continue with the mission. I mean, we have to do that. And also think about think about life after you. You have to be cognizant of life after Adam or Aaron or Rick. What is the is the organization just gonna stop? Are all the ideas and the programs gonna stop? No, you can't. And, and here's something that, that can help get you there to identify these people. I can remember years ago, I was kind of, I felt that I was doing too much and I wanted to empower some people, but I didn't know who I wanted to identify. So I went, I left my school and I actually parked across the street um, from the school and I had binoculars and I called the front office and our office manager was gone for the day. It, it was a substitute secretary. I said, hey, it's the last day of the month. I'm off campus. Can you please pull the fire alarm? We have to do a fire drill. Every school, every month has to do a fire drill because the fire marshal comes around, whatever. And the secretary who was a substitute was like, uh, but but you're not here and, and Joanne's not here. I said, I need you to just do it. So she goes, okay. So she pulls the fire alarm. Bomp, bomp, bomp. <laughs> what happens when the fire alarm goes off? Everybody leaves their classroom because they don't know that I'm gone. And they don't know that the second in command, the secretary, is gone. Typically, we're out there with our orange vests. We have our walkie-talkies. So the school starts to go out to the field. I'm out there. Picture me with my binoculars. Everybody <laughs> starts looking around. They don't see Adam. They don't see Joanne. What happened? What happened? I guarantee I'm going to say they just one... did their stuff anyway. <laughs> yeah. so, somebody stepped up. Somebody stepped up, yeah. Since of leadership, somebody steps yes. up. Renee Lopez, that's who stepped up, and she is currently a principal. That was the person that I identified as the next person to come in to help me support as a future leader. So if you make every decision, if you're always there to turn to, nobody else has the opportunity. I tell leaders, make your decision at the last possible moment. Because if you make the decision right away, you don't give anybody else the opportunity to build their leadership capacity. Don't answer every email right away. Because if you answer every email right away, 
First of all, it's good practice because email has taken over so many people's lives. If you answer every question right away, they don't. you don't give them the opportunity. Wait 30 minutes, wait three hours, wait two days, and then go find that person and ask them, oh, hey, how's that thing? And they're going to say, what, you, what, what thing? Oh, you sent me an email a couple of days ago. Oh, gosh, I already figured that out. It's just like parenting. If you do everything for your kids, your kids are going to be living with you when they're 35 years old. You have to build capacity in people in order to go and build your organization. And that's great because then you're doing less. Everybody's doing more. People have fulfillment in their jobs. Like, I mean, to me, it's not a super complex idea. You just have to, I always like to tell people, do as little as possible, (laughs) which, you know, like I know... People listening, you have a job, you have a mortgage, you have bills. I get it. So do I. But just that mindset, think to yourself, should I be doing this or can somebody else be doing this? And if somebody else could be a colleague, it could be a student, it could be a parent. And the third part of it is, should nobody be doing this? And I think when you Mm -hmm. think in those three quadrants, there's so many things that so many people are doing that nobody should be doing. Google can be doing them or nobody could be doing them. They're 15 years old. There's been more change in the last five years of education than there was in the previous 50. Why? Because the internet, because Google Classroom, because coding and robots and and AI and the pandemic and everything else. So people are doing things that have zero return on the investment of doing it. You got to build capacity, but then make sure you are doing the things that need to be done in order to empower your organization and get them where they need to go. Yeah. Wow. What a, oh, go ahead, Rick. Well, in leadership, if, if you need something, you need to begin to look for the solution of that. And just the awareness that I need help will allow you to be tuned in to when that solution arrives, right? Um, and I, I, just, I just love that. I love the, the idea of how you work that out with a fire drill. That's very innovative. <laughs> but, you know, for principals, if you, like, if you looked at your building as a classroom, would you be the teacher that never left their desk, or would you engage with your class? And you know how it is. If you're a teacher that doesn't engage with their class and they're always at, at the desk, it's crazy. You know, you have to engage. Check on them. Know their name. You know, how are you doing? And really mean it. And just engaging. And I think, and I know how it is. I know that being a leader of a, of a lot of teachers in a building can be very ominous. It can be scary. But engagement is the first thing. You have to just talk to them, you know, be curious about what what they're doing. And nine times out of 10, they'll give you everything that they have. Just Mm -hmm. to know that, you know, Mr. Welcome knows my name and he checked on me yesterday for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, just poked his head in my classroom. Yeah. Teachers, teachers are important. Teachers are more important than ever. I think teachers are important in different ways. Our teachers, teachers 50 years ago, Rick, your parents, my dad, they were the Encyclopedia Britannica of the class. They knew the information and kids couldn't, you know, kids weren't problem solving as much. They weren't collaborating. They weren't communicating. But now the teacher is to me the expert in kids, curriculum, and most importantly, relationships. The other things that a teacher doesn't know The kids should be the ones to figure that out. And then the teacher is facilitating the learning process or all the different, the the three to five different things, because that's how you differentiate in a classroom. You have three to five different things going on. And the teacher, because they're the the expert in kids' curriculum and relationships and not every little thing, you can go so much farther, so much faster and have so much more fun. So just think about your importance in the classroom. You are the most important person in the classroom. Room. But it's shifted from from even five years ago. You know, pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. it it has shifted. Um, and I just think it's, that's an important thing to think about as as schools wind down this year. But more importantly, as people plan for the twenty three twenty four school year, because uh, this year, you know, is obviously is obviously on 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 the on the tail end. People have testing. But as you're thinking about next year, think about what can you get rid of. What could you have somebody else do? What should nobody be doing? How can you empower your students more to 
um, to harness their own learning. I think that's really important. And then from the principal's office, from a leadership standpoint, what can you take off your plate? What can you stop doing? What can you digitize or what can you empower somebody else to do? So you can spend more time building relationships with kids, spending more time in classrooms. Um, I, I just think it's a really important thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I usually wait till the end to talk about like, hey, do you have any books that you want to promote or anything? But I want to go ahead and start talking about some of your books. I have not read in full your books, but I have read bits and pieces and I am intrigued. I am sold and I want to read your books because I love you talk, you have a what's best for kids book and you have a what's best for teachers book and two other books that we'll talk about. But I love that that's the focus. What's best for them? Not not like, you know, all these big grandiose practices and all this kind of stuff, but you get down to the nitty gritty of what's best. Tell me about the conception of these ideas of these books about what's best for teachers and kids. Yeah, I'm a total accidental author. I never thought I would uh, I would write a book, let alone, let alone four. <laughs> I was a I blogged for ten years every yeah. every week, like two or three times, and then I was just an I was just honestly like an accidental author. In my first book, I co-wrote with um, another educator in Texas called "Kids Deserve It," and we just wrote the book that we wanted to read. Um, there's so many books out there that have so much theory and you read not even a chapter, but a couple pages and you have no idea what you read and you have no idea how to implement what you just read because it's so complex. It's so deep and so big and so theoretical and Piaget and Vygotsky and you're like, this makes no sense. No shade on Piaget and Vygotsky. So simply do what's best for kids. Simply do what's best for teachers. Uh, another one of my books is called Run Like a Pirate, and it's a book about running, but it's actually not about running. It's about achieving your full potential as a human being. Um, that's uh, I don't have a favorite book, um, but that's that's another one as well too. And then um, I read I read um I, re I read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. She's the former COO of Facebook years ago. I loved it. I've actually read it a few times, and um, just how women don't lean in to conversations, to opportunities. So, so a friend of mine who's an immigrant, um, Lynn Cologne in Virginia, she's from Puerto Rico and she's a former principal of the year. We wrote a book called Empower Our Girls just to make mm -hmm. sure that our girls are a part of the conversation, that girls are starting conversations. Don't just be a part of the conversation. Yes. Start the conversation. Start a conversation. So um, I just tell anybody, hey, you can be an author. Make sure your idea is a book and not just three blog posts or a five <laughs> podcast series that you can talk about. But I would say more importantly, if you're thinking about writing a book, blog as much as you can and talk about your ideas uh, as much as you can, because the more you do, it, 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 um, it just kind of brings your idea to where it should be. Yeah. Because you think you know where your, where your idea what your idea is and where it's going, but the more you talk about it and get feedback and the more you think about it, the more you go, oh no, I don't need to be over there. I need to be over here with my idea. Talk talk out loud. I don't think enough people talk out yeah. loud. People don't talk, don't talk out loud enough. They don't think out loud enough. You know, who are your thinking partners? Who's in your think tank that you can talk about with your ideas so they can ask questions? Because once you talk about something, it's kind of like in fourth grade, if your teacher said, okay, if you're done with your writing, go outside and read your writing out loud. Once you read your writing out loud, you hear yourself and you're like, oh gosh, that doesn't make sense. I left out all of these, all of these details. It's the same thing with an adult that has ideas. Put them down, talk about them, get feedback, and um, just get to exactly where you need to be with that idea. And maybe it turns into a book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, the, the whole act of taking an idea that's been marinating in your mind and enforcing it out of your mouth to somebody else, <laughs> you you can say things out of your mouth and hear yourself and be like, oh, you know, it'll the idea will just come out and it's different than what you thought, but it just, and then there you go. Mm -hmm. You know, you just that exercise of putting thought to words is so magical. Well, we're old enough. When we were kids, we had answering machines at our house. So yeah. if you called your house and left a message, if you were at your friend's house, hey, mom, I'm at Bobby's still. I'll be home at seven o'clock. And then you got home and you listened to your message on your machine. 
you were like, that's how I sound on the machine. <laughs> if you're under 25 and you're listening to this podcast, you have no idea what I'm talking about because I don't know if answering machines were around then. But the point is, you know, like once you, yeah, Rick, to your point, once you hear it out loud, it really just, it adjusts how you think about it, how you talk talk about it and it, and it, and it gets you faster to where you actually need to be with that idea. Yeah. That's why I love the process of stand-up comedians. Mm. They take a raw idea, they go up on stage, they let it loose, and then they just shape it. They mm. try it again and again and again. Um, yeah, but but eventually they land on, ah, that's that's how I need to phrase it. Yep. That's how it needs to sound. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Yes. Um, when, or in your book, The What's Best for Kids, and then you talk about how kids deserve the best version of you, of the teacher. And we've talked extensively about, you know, how important it is for us as teachers, you know, to be the best teacher we can be. We need to be taking care of ourselves and, you know, be taken care of. So what all does that look like? The best version of you, like a teacher who is not the best version of them at the moment, like how do we get to that place, you know? Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty broad question. I think there's a few different uh, things that I think about, um, Aaron, when you when you ask that. So I think you know people talk about balance a lot, and yeah. I actually don't like that word because okay. I think balance is completely unattainable. Um, like my wife, my wife is a book club dropout. She has joined so many book clubs <laughs> that she just drops out of. She'll ask me, "Hey, honey, um, have, have you read this book?" And I'm like. Why? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I read that book and you're trying to pump me for information because you have book club tomorrow night and you haven't read the book. People try to balance too many things. So put up barriers in your life. Stacy, drop out of the book club. You don't have time. You're too busy with work and family and everything else. So I think too many people are trying to balance too many things. And I mean, one of those things is you got to be happy and healthy. And when you are, when you have parameters on your day at school, you say, I'm leaving at 3.30. Why? Because I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to stay married to my partner. Or I, want to, I want to walk my dog. Those are really important things. And I think the second thing that I come to mind too is you, you don't work on a cruise ship. I think too many teachers have been told that they have to entertain their students and I think that's completely the wrong way. You have to engage your students because I've never been on a cruise, but I've seen pictures and videos of cruises. If you work on a cruise ship, I, I think you probably work like three months at a time. You have to be quote unquote on every day. You have to entertain. But when you engage your students, you start the conversation, you open the door, and then you yeah. follow them through that door because you are the expert in kids' curriculum and relationships. And I think too many people are trying to entertain. They're trying to dress up and decorate and do all these crazy things. And I'm just like, Maybe the kids enjoyed that, but what impact does that have on you? And is that sustainable? I think the attainable has to be sustainable. And if you can only do it once or twice, or you can do it now because you're 25 and you're single, but once you get married and have kids, there's no way you're, you're going to do that. Well, then why did you start it in the first place? Because the person next door or down the hall can't replicate what you're doing because it's too big and too much, too expensive, too much time, and then you're worn out. So I think you know, kind of analyzing what you do, like I've had a lot of friends say, hey, you know, like um, I want to get in shape. I want to lose some weight. Like what should I do? And I always tell people the first thing you do is just start walking every day. And then the second thing is, you know, write down every single thing that you eat during the day, every single thing, every single thing, and then put like a calorie count next to it. If you have five Cokes, that's a lot of calories. You know, maybe you didn't even realize you are drinking that many Cokes. Or if you want to save money, wait, you go to Starbucks six times a week and the average Starbucks bill is like $8. You're spending over $50 a week, 400, you know, 200 bucks a month at Starbucks. Do you know what you can do with that money? You can actually invest it over time for 10 years and you're going to have this much money. So just kind of analyze everything that you do and say, okay, what can I take out? Oh, I can take this out. I can take that out. That is not getting the return. I'm not getting the engagement. I'm not this. I'm not that. 
you got to stop and you have to you have to analyze. And again, Rick, back to the last question, do it with an accountability partner. Because if you do it by yourself, you're going to be able to rationalize, well, I deserve Starbucks because I'm I've been good. I love and I got the I got the app. I can just pay for my app. It's so easy. I got points. Let's do it. But if you do this with an accountability partner, Aaron's going to be like, "Rick, why would you do that? Do you really need this?" Okay, you went 10 times. I say twice. And you're like, twice? Yes. You got to make changes. Hey, you've been leaving school at six o'clock every night. What are you doing? What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm doing the best for my kids, but it has to be the best for you and also the best for the kids because the kids are important, but you are important as well. And schools are not going to be anything without teachers. And if they're not happy and healthy and <laughs> can show up to do their job, then what are we doing? So um, I would say those are a couple yeah. of things, Aaron, that I think about when I, yeah. when, I, when I think about that question. It's, again, going back to a couple of questions ago, should I be doing this? Can somebody else be doing this? Should nobody do, be doing this? Mm -hmm. Just get three circles. You write down everything that you do in a week and then put me, somebody else, nobody. It's kind of like cleaning your closet. How many clothes do you actually never wear. Oh, but I love that shirt. When was the last time you wore that shirt? Like I'm thinking about this linen shirt that I have in my closet right now that I wore to a wedding like six years ago. And you know why I keep it? I wore it once. I keep it because I might go to another wedding in the south of France. When am I ever going to go to another wedding in the south of France? Probably never, but I keep it. I should get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of it after this podcast. I don't need that shirt. Who wants a yes. nice medium white linen shirt? Because Adam is getting rid of it. <laughs> but you guys, you guys understand what I'm talking about, uh, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Awareness allows you to find solutions. Mm -hmm. But if you're unaware that there's a problem, <laughs> like like you said, with with diet or what whatever, you know, if you just look at what what is my daily routine. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to point toward habits, like your day is mostly automated. So what automations have you put into place that you didn't even know exist? Yep. And maybe swinging by Starbucks every morning is your automation. Do you need it? You know, just stopping to think, is this good for me? Can allow you to make some really tough decisions. Well, and now Starbucks are all drive-through, so it makes it even easier. Well, God, I don't even have to get out of my car. So convenient. Oh, my gosh. Chipotle. <laughs> I've been to the Chipotles in Tulsa before. I think y'all are in Tulsa, right? I mean, they, they make it. I can just drive through. I want a burrito and chips and guacamole, $14. No big deal. $14 for a burrito? And you want to save money and you want to buy a house. You got to make some changes. You got to look at those things, 100%. Yeah. Mine was, and this is regional, but Brahms. Frozen yogurt, oh, yeah. no waffle cone. Yeah. So especially, especially like January, February, uh, toward the end of basketball season. <laughs> man, I would hit up that drive-thru. Rick deserves it. Rick deserves <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. I need to feel better. What can I get? Uh, Brahms frozen uh, yogurt. Yep. I've been to Brahms for sure. Yeah. Yes. Did you ever, as a principal, um, see some of these, you know, teachers who were just doing too much and needed to readjust things. Did you ever approach a teacher and kind of like help them through that process? I assume you did. I mean, you know, but what, what does that look like? Cause I've been the teacher who's doing everything too much and I'm dying from it literally. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's taking such a toll on me. And so I just in, I'm out of that now but like if i was in the middle which i know there's teachers listening to that right now who are in it in it and doing too much and doing everything so like what uh, yeah how did you help teachers through that yeah well first off aaron it's being in classrooms every day and knowing knowing your staff I, again, I think I go back to relationships. I'm, I'm not saying a lot of principals don't know their staffs, but how do you really know the inner workings? Are you in their yeah. classrooms uh, before school, during school, after school, talking? Are you looking at the parking lot to see whose car is still there? Are you looking at the, are you, are you looking at, at the sign-in sheet on the weekend? Who came in to turn off the alarm? Because you got to sign your name to turn off the alarm. Why did you come in this weekend? If it happens once, that's cool. If you come every weekend, why are you coming on the weekend? What, what are you doing here? Um, I think it's just being completely 100% honest and also asking questions. I think just asking, hey, Aaron, so, you're, so, so you grade every paper? Uh, yeah. And just leaving that question right there. People, yeah. know, people know what they need to do. 
But I think it's really hard for people to make a change, Rick, to your point, to build a new habit because they feel secure in that. Like I knew teachers that would come in on the weekend to redo their bulletin boards. And I would say, hey, do you know what? The kids, they look at the bulletin boards probably once, but that's not helping the educational program in your classroom. Ask your students that you had last year what they remember from the bulletin boards. Ask the students this year that you had last year. The teachers go, they have no idea. They have no yeah. idea. So people are doing it for themselves because they think maybe it's maybe it's fulfilling something. Maybe it's them telling me, if I do this, I'm a good teacher. I'm doing my job well, which That's, goes back yeah. to, hey, school leaders, make sure you're praising your people. Make sure you're telling them good things, not just for like, oh, your classroom looks cute. Like, well, is that actually a good thing? So just asking questions. And, you know, sometimes I would say, hey, um, Aaron, go down to uh, Susan's class down the hall. I'll watch your class for 20 minutes because maybe Susan is teaching a little bit different way. And I want to give mm -hmm. some, some peer support to you because sometimes mm -hmm. I, as the principal, is not the right person to do that. Teacher to teacher is actually the best thing to do. And Aaron starts looking around. You're like, oh, wow, this classroom looks different. Hey, these kids are engaged. Hey, Susan has a life. She has kids. She's in book clubs. She goes to church. She walks her dog. Gosh, I'm single and I don't do any of those things. How can I get a how little does bit? She do it? How does she do that? And then you go, you know what? You build that little collaborative relationship amongst your staff. So what did you do? What did I do? I opened the door and I just backed away. I said, here you go. Yeah. I gave people the tools and I said, cool, have fun. Principles are important, but hey, what are you, you're not doing everything also. So uh, create those opportunities for people to have those conversations on their own and just bring them yeah. up. And I think the simpler the questions we ask, the more, the more output you actually get. That's yeah. why kids deserve it. We wrote a simple book because we wanted people to actually take something from it and do something. If it's so complex that you have pages and pages and pages and pages of notes and you can't even implement something that you read from the book because you need to get permission, start a committee, call the mayor and the pope to get permission, it's too complicated. The simpler something is, the less that can go wrong. Most things never get done because they don't get started because they're too big and they're too complicated. So very simple yeah. ideas to implement, simple habits, simple changes really get big impact over time. I, I had a conversation, to your point, about principals being aware of their teachers, right? I had a conversation with a principal two weeks ago, and I, was, I said, just what, how is it going? What's the temperature right now with your building and with your teachers? And he said that they've come across this new thing, district-wide, where their go-to teachers, like, you know, the, the veteran that's got 20 years, she's, she or he, the leader of that building or that hallway, they're finding that they're having to reassign those leadership roles to others because those those dependable, long-running teachers um, have just burned up. Mm -hmm. You know, that they have nothing left to give. They have turned sour or they're just, they don't, they're not as hopeful as they once were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the idea that a principal doesn't check in with not just all their teachers, but their their pillars, you know? And every principal knows you have to take care of these four teachers, right? Those those teachers that have impact on the 10 teachers around them. But right now is the time to make sure that you are doing that mm -hmm. and just having those simple conversations like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Um, and not just assume that they're that they are okay. Yeah. You know. Well, here's an analogy. I, I run marathons. I, I've run 32 marathons. I've done 50 mile races. I've done 100 mile races, and I, I can run a six minute mile, but I can't run a six minute mile for 26 miles. I have to pace myself. And a school year is so much like a marathon or an ultra marathon. If I run the first two miles at six minutes. By mile seven, I'm going to be passed out on the side of the road because that pace is not sustainable. There's only a handful of people that can run five-minute miles for a marathon, um, you know, and they're world record holders and they have Olympic medals. And the point is that is you have to pace yourself and you have to have people to remind you, hey, Rick, Aaron, pace yourself. You're going too fast. Make sure you eat. 
during a marathon, make sure you breathe, make sure you smile, make sure you take care of yourself, make sure your pace is sustainable because you want to cross that finish line feeling good, feeling classy. You're going to be tired and you're going to feel like you ran a marathon just like at the end of the school year. You're going to feel it. But if you're haggard and burned out and sick, that is not, you did not pace yourself. And there are going to be miles where you need to maybe run a little faster or adjust it. Those times at conference week, report cards, testing, we understand that. But that should be the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it, it seems to me like education forever, until recently, has been a, a borderless uh, profession. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you got done with school at four o'clock, but since the advent of email, you're going to have an email from a parent at six o'clock, eight o'clock, yeah. whatever. Um, and so the, there's no clear lines. I've I've been shocked since I stepped out of education and into business, how definitive five o'clock is, right? Like, and, and the weekends, like there's no business being done. I mean, some people <laughs> obviously do, but by and large, everybody kind of agrees. No, this... I'm done with my day. But teaching just doesn't feel like there is a boundary until the last few years rolled around. And now it's out of necessity. We have to find the boundaries. What's good for me? What is, what is sustainable, like you said, Adam? And, and that is a great conversation to have uh, moving forward to make education, to make teaching the profession sustainable for people. But that's also a habit. Why are people checking their email at night? If something really bad calls happens, somebody's going to call you. As a principal, I took email off of my phone. I had my calendar synced, but I didn't have email on my phone. I would check it a few times during the day. And I would not have I would check it at night once just to make sure there wasn't some crazy emergency, and that was it. So <laughs> It's also the habits that we have. If you respond to an email, uh, so I haven't been a principal, a full-time principal for about five years, but I, I do substitute principaling. So schools need substitute teachers, but at times they also need substitute principals. So I've done like month-long, seven-month-long substitute jobs. The last job I did last year was a month-long. I was at lunch and I overheard one of the teachers saying, yeah, I got this. It was a message through Class Dojo. It wasn't even an email. Some parent sent this teacher a message through Class Do Dojo. It wasn't like a positive message. It was, it was important, but not like urgent. It was something random that happened. And the teacher got that message because notifications were turned on on Saturday at 11 p.m. It woke yeah. them up. And I said, why are your notifications on? Oh, my gosh. And then I was like, oh, my God, this and that. I couldn't get back to sleep. And then I said, whoa, whoa wait. Did you respond to the message? And this, this look of like, oh my gosh, my, you caught my hand in the cookie jar. She's like, I did. I said, you need to set up office hours. Every day at 4.30, you turn off notifications. And then the next day at 7 o'clock, your notifications go on. We have to put up boundaries. It's not this boundary list, like you said, Rick, profession or life. If something really bad happens to a colleague or a student, the principal is going to find out about it. They're going to get called. And then me as the principal, I'm going to call you and say, hey, Rick, something came up that I need to tell you about. I'm going to call you on the phone. I'm not going to send you an email. And I just feel if people answer emails all the time, then people are going to be assuming that you're going to answer my email or my class dojo or my remind message all the time. And that is not a sustainable practice. It is not. Yeah. I know that yep. I like, I thought the mark of a good teacher was almost giving, like not having boundaries was being boundaryless to be available all the time for my students and parents. Like that is how I thought. And so because you love them. Yeah. Because I love them so very much and I wanted to, but I, I, it's not sustainable to your point. That's the point. It's not sustainable at all. It didn't, it didn't work for me. For you can one. love them, but you have to love yourself just as yeah. much because your yeah. students are going to move on at some point and we want you to still be there and we want you yeah. to be there for your family. We want you to be happy and we want you to be healthy. And yeah. too many, too many don't do that. Whatever yeah. their job is yeah. in the school district. I mean, I work with a lot of superintendents and uh, that I've gotten to know. I've worked in 44 states. I've worked with over 350 school districts across the country. And I see superintendents that I know post like a picture on Facebook and they look tired. And I know it's a very demanding job, but I'm like, gosh, you, 
I know superintendents say I need to be at everything, but can you really be at quote unquote everything and make it sustainable and it's only your second year and you're 45 years old? I don't see how that's possible. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yep. <sighs> this is good. I'm just looking at the clock and it has like flown by this conversation with you. I love it. I love it. Um, what are some things like, what are some big game changers that you have learned along the way that may have like disrupted some things that you formerly had thought? That I formerly had thought when I first started teaching, I gave, I gave my students homework because that's uh, what I knew. And that's what my, that's what my colleagues did and I think homework is a complete waste of time. And I think we should stop wasting kids' lives with homework because first of all, there's no research that shows homework does anything positive. And in my mm -hmm. seven years as being an administrator, 90% of the meetings that I have with parents about problems at school, if you pull the strings on them, it was homework and activities at home and arguments and complaining. Why are we bringing that into people's homes and causing friction? So yeah. I think if anything, you give suggested, you give recommended activities. If somebody wants to take their learning to another level, I would say that that is one um, that that's a, a really really big one for me. And then I think just just to go back to that last question, um, I, I've always been a hard worker. I'm not a workaholic. And I think mm -hmm. at first I had very, very, very slight tendencies of being a workaholic for like a month <laughs> into my first teaching job. And then I'm like, no, I can't do this because I was, I was 23 years old, but you know, I was, yeah. I was doing other things. I'm like, I can't, con I can't sustain this. So very quickly I looked at my classroom and I, and I, and I really backed off of that. I think that was, that was one. Um, and then I think, you know, like, Hey, the world has changed. And the school is not responsible for everything that happens in a family's life. And yeah. I say that delicately because I know there's a lot of families um, that don't have everything that they need, but there's other services to help support them. Hopefully, you know, like a school should not be responsible for every single thing. And because then if, if, if it is, then, then we are going to be burned out and stressed out and trying to do everything. Um, you know, um, there's, there, there has to be some type of barriers around that. Um, and again, I say that delicately because I know that um, not all students are as fortunate as others socioeconomically or with housing or with food or with transportation or with having, you know, uh, two, two guardians or parents at home. So again, it's, it's a delicate response, but I think just saying, okay, what can, what, what can we be doing? What should we be doing? How can we partner with other organizations or other people to help support this, this family? Um, mm -hmm. Because it, you know, there, I think there has to be multiple hands in the pot to help support them. So, and I, I think the last one too is if you feel like you're on an island in 2023, it is completely up to you because if you don't have a nationwide or global professional learning network, what the heck are you doing? Because it's there. It's there. My dad was completely alone as a teacher. He had colleagues, but he wasn't connected to people like I am connected to people. Like Aaron and Rick, I'm here on your podcast because of our mutual friend, Katie Kinder. I've yes. only met Katie Kinder once in person in Geary, Oklahoma. She came out to see me at an event for Sean Buchanan, who's a superintendent out there. And I had known her for years and I'd never met her in person. And that all happened because of social media and harness social media for good reasons. There's plenty of bad things happening on social media, <laughs> but your, your people, they are out there and they may not be in your building. They may not be in your district. They may not be in your state, but they are out there. And it is imperative that you build a team. So you can celebrate with the team, but I think more importantly, when times get tough and you need people to support you, your team will be there. Even if you've never met them before, they will be there because they're doing your job somewhere else and they know exactly what you're going through. Mm. Yeah. And I just thought like having that team established, you know, having your connections already established, then when you are, it when it's, you know, going through the bad, the negative stuff, then you don't have to find that team you don't have to locate and identify that team yet you already have it and it's there and then you can just be you can you know vent yeah, or whatever take, take you're doing you know? that, it's yeah. like a it's, it's like a savings account 
if if you and your yeah. spouse lose your job and the economy goes south, you're like, whoa. Well, you know what? That's why we have a savings account. That's why we have our rainy yeah. day fund. This is when we need it. So, Aaron, to your point, yeah, if something big happens, you already have those people there. You already have your savings account. It's going to be stressful regardless, but it's going to be less stressful because you have those supports already in place. Yeah. Mm. I love it. Find a community, community care. That is something I was a teacher that so I withdrew and was, you know, just, I had so much I thought on my plate. So the only way I could do it is just to be by myself and keep doing it. And I have realized community care, community care is what I needed. I needed that. Even though it was something that was so easy to shut off and convince myself I didn't, but like my heart, I needed it. My sanity needed it. Just hearing other teacher's stories is life giving or it's connecting to say i'm not i'm not alone like they've been through this as well and so it's just it's really beneficial just to be around and communicating with other teachers yeah yeah oh it's good this is good all right so rick and adam is there anything we haven't gotten to talk about that you guys want to make sure we address today no okay I, well, we covered the books, right? And I think it it would be good for Adam to tell us where yes. people can find him. Good yeah. call. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron said yeah, it yeah. at the beginning. Mr. Adam Welcome on all social media. Mr. Adam Welcome.com. My website, all my blogs and my podcast are uh, are linked there. So I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Yes. Good, good. And there's great stuff. And you guys, his books, I'm excited to get to read some of these. Like this, I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. And we we talked about your marathon running, but it was just kind of in passing. Like you have run 32 marathons. That is so awesome. When did you start running? So I ran my first marathon, I think like at 24. A friend of okay. mine was like, hey, we should do a marathon. And I was like, okay. And he's like, hey, there's one in two weeks. Um, so the ah. longest run that I ever did was nine miles. He flaked on me the day before the marathon. Cause he's like, I'm not of in shape. Course. I can't do this. I'm like, well, I'm not in shape, but I went and did it. I finished, uh, it hurt, but it finished. And then I didn't run for a while. And then, um, when I was 30 years old, I did a half marathon and, um, I actually met my wife at that half marathon. We met at that mar- half marathon and we got married a hundred days later. And then I just started running marathons again because she was a runner. I was a cyclist. So I sold all my bikes okay. and started running. And then, uh, yeah. And then that was it. My new thing is I, I guide blind runners on marathons. So visually impaired is the correct term. The guy that I guide is blind. So I say blind, but visually impaired runners. So you have like a little rope and you're basically everything for that person. You guide them 26.2 miles. And, um, it is such a rewarding experience to help somebody awesome. get across the finish line. So my, my next goal is I want to run across the country. I'm not sure when that is going to happen. Please don't call me Forrest Gump. Many people have run across <laughs> the country, but that's, that, that's my goal maybe at some point. So I need to find three months to, to do it. And then I, I think I would like to like raise money for homeless students or something just to support, yeah. support needs. That's so cool. yeah, it's a, it's a great way. So running. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish. No, I'd say running is a great way to get your ideas where they need to be. And we are always constantly connected and notifications and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and phone calls. I just ask people that are listening, what are you doing that is outside without technology? So you have your thoughts, you have nature, no music, no podcasts. So you can really think about those things. Those times, that time is precious. 20 years ago, human beings had more of that time. And I think that's a really big Mm -hmm. missing piece about what's happening in our very, very digital connected world. So try to find that time. You don't need to run, go walk, sit outside, go to the, go to your park down the street from where you live and just really try to find that time to connect with yourself, to get those ideas Mm -hmm. to fruition and where they need to be. Yeah. That's great. I'm loving that you've had running since you started teaching basically. Mm -hmm. So you started teaching presumably at like 22, 23, and then you've been doing that. Like that's, I bet there's a lot of correlations and life lessons and stuff that you've learned through It's a habit. Running. Rick, you talked about habits. I wake up every day at 4.15 a.m. I wake up my wife at 5.30. My wife and I run every single day three to five miles. If you look at my wow. social media, my Instagram, my Twitter, and my Facebook, I post a picture every single day of the street that we run down. There's a really beautiful mountain in the background every single day. So 
there's no, oh, are we going to run tomorrow? Well, of course we're running because we it's run happening. we run every single day at 5.30. First of yeah. all, it's our time as a couple to talk about the kids and life and I travel a lot. It's also just a time to just to connect and we also get our workout in. So build habits. Mm-hmm. Habits are sustainable and they help mm-hmm. you be a better human being. Wonderful. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so we end each episode with two questions. My first question is just to you, Mr. Adam Welcome. And it is, if you were to go back in time to when you were first walking into your very first classroom, you have 60 seconds after all the things you've learned all these years, what is the most important thing in 60 seconds that you're saying to your former self? The first thing I'm doing is making sure our students are in groups. I don't want them in rows. And then the second thing I'm doing is like, hey, what can I have the students do? I want this to be their classroom. I don't want a stack of textbooks and workbooks that are super boring to be the first thing that they see on their desk. Those those can come. I want to know about my students. I want to get them moving around. I want to get them talking. I want to get them comfortable. I want to get building relationships. And hey, this is where we're going to go. This is what we can do. And we are all going on this journey together. I am just a person in this classroom. Yes, I'm the teacher. It's like when I was a principal, I said, hey, that's my job title, but I am just a part of the team. And to make sure that they all feel welcome. I got a message on Instagram a couple months ago from a former student who came to me mid-year. And um, I changed my name when I got married we took my wife's name. She wanted to keep her name, but I wanted the same name, so I took her name. He said, I've been looking oh. for you for five years, and I finally found you. And he just, I only had it for two months. He said, I just remember how you made me feel. And I said, do you remember what 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 like what like we learned? He's like, bro, I don't remember fractions. I remember <laughs> how you made me feel. Teachers, kids remember how you talk to them and how you make them feel. Make sure you do that in the right way. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. And then finally, this is a question for all three of us. What is something you're consuming? It doesn't have to be anything teacher related, something you're doing, consuming that you'd want to recommend to our listeners, anything at all from podcasts to music to an activity. I'll go first to give you guys time to think. Um, I want to recommend going camping. I have started <laughs> camping ever since Christmas. My husband and I got all of our camping gear and we, now that the weather is finally springtime, we have just been hitting the camping sites like crazy. And I can't tell you what being outside for like, you know, three days constantly, it is, it reinvigorates me. Like I, I feel like when I come home on Sunday afternoon, I am like ready to take on a new week. Camping is healing me. I love it. I love it's hard work kind of, and it's just so good. So go camping. We're going to tons of the Oklahoma state parks. We're just kind of making our way, discovering all these new state parks and I'm having the time of my life. So camping is what I'm recommending. And I have some pointers. I've learned a lot of stuff along the way. So reach out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next, whoever has something. Well, I'll, I'll go. I just finished a book. Uh, and it's Rob Lowe's book. Oh, uh, stories I tell my friends. I only tell my friends. And this is a total Gen X thing. Like you, you know, you think you know somebody, and then they 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 tell you like what was going on, and then you you now you fully understand. Like oh, okay, <gasps> like I totally get it. And um, his book is to me so interesting. Because you do get that behind-the-scenes access to his time on The Outsiders, his his time growing up, uh, and and what that looked like, and then his life trajectory after that. So, I love biographies. So I, you know, this is not a surprise for people that know me, but <laughs> I would recommend that book for anybody that's curious who grew up in the '80s and the '90s. You know, I graduated from high school in '93. So, uh, if that's your time and you have any interest in that, it's a it's a good book of great stories. Yeah. Along that same line, Rick, I'm just going to recommend people, people read. I've read 26 books this year so far. I read 72 books last year. I'm going to recommend one book, David Grohl's book. He was the, um, he was on Nirvana and then he's, you know, he's on Foo Fighters and, um, just really great, um, autobiography too, just kind of memoir. And I read something the other day, people that don't read are like people that are illiterate. Because you're not using your literacy. And that's a pretty bold statement, mm-hmm. but I think that's really true. I always ask people that I meet, I'm like, do you read? 
because I love to give books away that I read, and I just feel like there is such a world out there that is so much deeper than TikTok videos or Instagram videos or YouTube videos, and just to be able to, again, take that time to get into a book, it is uh, it's super important. So that's what I'm going to recommend yeah. as well. And if anybody is saying, I just, I'm, I, I don't like to read, you haven't found the right book. Yeah, totally. You know, it's just the right book. That changes everything. Yeah. Good, good advice. Good it advice. Is. All right. Well, Mr. Adam, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on our show. This was a great yeah, conversation. I can't wait for people to get to hear it. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Please visit our website at relatethenneducate.com. If you'd like us to come to your school, great. Go to our website, click on our speaking page, and see what all we talk about. And we'd love to come meet your teachers. Also on our site, you can visit our events page. We have some excellent workshops and really cool events that we are currently planning. We cannot wait for these things. Oh, they're going to be exciting. Also, you can check out our Teacher Voices page, which is exactly what it sounds like, Teacher Voices. It's a wonderful resource of teacher stories, teacher experiences, just all you can hear teacher voices. And it's a great way you can connect with them. You can learn and hear from other teachers. So check out our website, relateandeducate.com. We are always looking for more teachers to talk to. And you have a story worthy of sharing. Yes, you. I'm talking to you, teacher. You may not think you do, but oh, do you? And we want to meet you. We want to talk to you on the podcast. And even if you're like, oh, I don't have anything, which I know you do. I know you know of a teacher who has a great story, who has great experiences and lessons that we could learn from. So you could also let us know their name, their information, and we would love to reach out to them and see if they want to be on our show. So reach out to us on our website, or you can email me at Erin, E-R-I-N, at RelateThenEducate.com, and I will get back to you. I am so excited always to meet new teachers. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the Relate Then Educate book? Because you need to. You really, really do. The Relate Then Educate book is wonderful. It is a bunch of different teacher stories. And they're getting out there. And we can't wait. So if you haven't pre-ordered your copy, you need to do it. You can pre-order it anywhere where you order you know, your books and stuff from. We will, rele we will release the book this summer. All right, finally, please like and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Relate Then Educate and on Twitter at Relate Then E-D-U-C and the number one. And then on whatever you're listening to this podcast, please follow us, like us, leave a review. It helps us grow. It helps us be seen. Please do that. All right, finally, teachers, you are worthy. You are valuable and you are loved. Bye.